Isaiah chapter 55 is reading verse that are ver- verses that are very familiar but set well the stage as it were for what we are going to think on in just a moment Isaiah 55 verse 8 the Lord says for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 45. to verse 19. Seth the Lord that created the heavens. God to the seed of Jacob seek ye me in vain I the Lord speak righteousness Amen may the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus sake this morning I want us to think on that last verse that we read Where the Lord says, I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. I declare things that are right. Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless his word. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that you will let us hear the voice of the Lord our God. Lord, you say, that it is the word of God and the hearing of the word of God that brings faith. Lord, we pray that you will then allow faith to be brought to us, faith in a God that we know, faith in a God that we may not know. We pray that thou wilt do a work in each heart so that faith would be that which proves to be the gift of God to every here today bless us 
meet with us, speak to us, minister to us. Oh, Christ, we pray. as was the disciples. Lord, we pray. Now as I servant, direct God and word, we would ask in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are that is our text, and I have to say at the outset, our text is an amazing statement. It's not amazing that the Lord testifies of the nature of his revelation to mankind. It's amazing that the Lord offers this statement at all. Why would our God have to testify to sinful men, that what he says is not only righteous, but truthful. This seems not only unnecessary, but it does therefore reveal a great problem in the heart of men. The following does not count the giving of the mind of God as the way things really are. I just would say that one of the worst sins of our depraved hearts is that we question the absolute truthfulness of God. We might consider God truthful for the most part. But there is often that we judge unfair or not right and that casts a cloud of doubt over the Lord's words. Now, what I'm talking about this morning is not a new issue. For it is, in fact, the very first fall. The fault of the fall of man. It was heeding Satan's accusation that brought sin into the world. Genesis chapter 3. Hath God said... Those words were the point of Satan's attack that brought about the fall of man. In other words, his accusation was that what God said was not quite right or square. There was something selfish behind God's words was his claim. Well, not only was the statement, I, the Lord, speak righteous, declare things that are right, questioned in the garden. But it was also the point on which Satan tempted the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Each attack of the devil was on the basis of what the words of God meant and how they applied. But even the motive there was a desire to get the Savior to question. Now we are not, not to be surprised that much of the failure 
that we find in our own walk before the Lord also stand. This is a major battleground. The devil will attack and attack about whether the things said by our God are in fact reality. Perhaps this is why the Lord said through Paul in Romans chapter 3, Let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou, meaning God, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, or proven right, and mightest overcome Now at this point, I want to become more specific in what the issue is that we're dealing with. Notice that our text is not mainly a statement by the Lord that his words are true. That's not what's being said. He is not defending the character of the words or the power that... Rather, the Lord is emphatically pointing at how he speaks those words. How he speaks those words. The focus is not on the message, but on the Lord himself as the one who speaks to consider him. Consider that he speaks in righteousness. That's how a righteousness that is a pure reflection of his own person. He says he declares things that are right. He not only speaks that which is truth, but he points as a statement that reflects his own character and integrity. So here's a very plain but vital point. Not only are we to set our minds and hearts on words that we have received from the Lord, but it is as important that we fasten our minds on how these words were given. The how presents not the truth, but the truthfulness of the one who speaks. So today we're considering not the what, but rather the how. How is it that God speaks? What does that mean? Well, my proposition to you this morning is simply this, that God presents his holiness, the holiness of his person, as the pillars upon which all that he has given in his words rests. So, I'm going to ask the question here. What does the statement, I, the Lord, speak righteousness, I declare things that are right, what does that suggest? Well, let's just think. To speak righteousness is the key to our first thought. So, our first thought is this. These words indicate, they suggest, in fact, they confirm.
that our God is absolutely pure. Our God is absolutely pure. The prophet Habakkuk, in chapter 1 of that prophecy, verse 12, makes a statement concerning the character of God, the nature of the Lord's revelation because of the character of God. The words in verse 12, chapter 1, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to evil, and canst not look on iniquity. That means God has no part in anything that is of sin or iniquity. He is entirely holy. So we point this out to you, that the speech of the Lord is righteousness, is the speech is all righteousness. Oh, think it with me. If there was a sliver of falseness in our God, all of what he says would be doubtful. But I would have you to understand that just and that is this. What the Lord says in his words to us is not only true, but they lead to a right or a perfectly just end. They lead to righteousness. They are righteousness for, because of where they come from, but they lead to righteousness only. The path on which the saint treads as he observes the words of God is that which absolute good, absolute right. At the end of all, all that is known will be judged fair. It will be judged blessed. It will be blessed indeed and will be judged perfect. There is nothing that can be said to be lacking or undesirable about the place that the words of God lead us. When the Lord leads us by his word to some place where he has found himself, that end is good. I think in some ways this is what the psalmist is saying and talking about in those well-known verses in Psalm 119. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. When I walk the path that thy word I will come to the place of righteousness where all is fair, where all is blessed, where all is perfect. Perhaps there's a a contrast in the Lord's words here. Maybe the Lord has another message that is revealed and relayed in these words here, and that is that he is so different than the gods of the heathen. The gods of the heathen, well, what they counseled, what they speak, what they led to, was always to bring their followers to do evil. Lord, the end of it all will be that we will be those who are righteous. There is nothing that the Lord speaks.
Now the application of this point. The application of what I'm saying here. Is this. That you may know. You may know the word of God to be true. You may believe it to be right. And helpful. But that is not the key point. It is not until you esteem that the Lord that gives the word as righteousness and right, that you will rise above. Just thinking on the words themselves. Go beyond that child of God. You start to think about the one who said those words. As you set your heart and mind on him, the fact that he is righteousness, that he is right, and esteem, he will only show me that which is for my good, for my benefit, for my saving. Then you are in the place where you can have your mind and heart untangled. You know, until you get to that place, if all you do is just think about the words, but you don't consider the Lord himself. Your doubts will plague you. Well, I'm not diminishing. The but the power that is in the word of God is that it leads to. It doesn't lead you to think better about yourself or how you can have a change in your circumstance or how you're going to somehow shoot yourself into a blessing some way or other. Of the word of God is that it always leads to the feet of the Savior. It always leads to the Lord Himself. And as you consider Him, as you think on Him, as you worship Him, as you love Him, until you do that, you will fight with questions about your salvation. You will question all the wondrous graces of the Lord. Are they real? Are they for me? Do they really do what the scripture says or what people that I've talked to, does it really do that? My friends, the answer or the point I'm trying to get across is this. When the Lord says these words, it is for the purpose for you to consider how he speaks. And if you consider how he speaks, you can't help but consider him considers who speaks consider how he speaks consider that it is always that way for he does not change his covenant statements are eternal so I suggest to you that this statement in the first place suggests to us that our God is absolutely pure and that we are to be on that. For there is our victory. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even your faith. Well, faith in whom? My second point is this. These words also... is absolutely certain. Not only is our God absolutely pure, but our... Again, the how that we see in the testimony of God suggests the result of the Lord's speaking. 
Let me put it this way. If the entirety of what God says is both righteousness and right, then that all that the Lord has offered in his promises and commands will without fail bring the end that he purposes for his people. If what God says is not just true, but it is pure to the point where it cannot be controverted, it cannot be denied, it cannot be set aside, it cannot be broken, as John 10 tells us. If it is what Isaiah 55 that we read says, it will not return to vain, empty, without accomplishing what he sent to do. Therefore, you know, it is absolutely certain that the blessing that God says will be to those that are his people that keep his commandments, it's absolutely certain. The other way around. If there was any part of how God presented his word that was at all without his righteousness all through it, then there would be no real hope or expectation of blessing. Why? Because it's tainted. Because it is faulty. Because it is unrighteous. You know, if righteousness is even a sliver not purely righteous, then it's not righteous at all. Note David's words, the psalmist, as he was looking to the Lord. He was being confronted by those that were evildoers, those that were speaking against him, those that were against his person, against his uh, kingship. Psalm 62. How long will ye imagine if against a man? He shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult him down from his excellence. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul... Wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. Is in God. Trust in him at all times ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. What's David saying? It's not in the blessings that the Lord has allowed me to have. It's not in the circumstances that I find them. My hope, my expectation, all the good that I will know is found in the person and the integrity of the one in whom I trust. Has the Lord promised the blessing of heaven on the head of all his saints? Answer that question. The Lord promised the blessing of heaven on the head of all his saints. 
well, I'm not sure that means me. Well, then if, that, if you're not sure that means me, or you say it does not mean you, then you are not a saint. Because the Lord does promise that. But, you might say, but you don't understand. I don't see the blessing of God. Let me clue you into a couple things. First, most of God's blessings you don't see. And most of the ones that you do see, you don't understand. And the blessings that you do understand, and I say you have to agree with me here, the blessings that you do know and understand, you have to agree that they are all tied to the Lord doing right. It's all tied to the person of your God. Am I not right on there? If you perceive the blessing of God, it shows you the Lord. Now the fact that you don't see the blessing of God is not because the Lord is not blessing you. As I said, He does without your knowledge. And some of the times, of the things that He does in the most immense and powerful way, you don't even understand it. Why the answer is because of who the Lord is and how he has declared blessing on your head. He says you are blessed. He blessed you with a declaration that is pure righteousness and is completely right. Will it happen? Will that blessing be something that you will know? Well, there's my point. Our blessing is absolutely certain because of the nature, the kind, the character of how the... My third point is this. Our need is absolutely... Our need is absolutely understood. Think with me once again. If the Lord speaks righteousness and declares what is right, then he knows that we need to know what righteousness is and what is right. Because we do not know. I'm afraid that we are... Our need is very great. We don't understand... We judge things based on our or our prejudices or our surmisings or even just we don't understand necessarily what is righteousness and what is right and the Lord has to show that to us. You know it is of note that the Lord Jesus so often spoke to those in need as if the words that he voiced were right out of the blue and connected to nothing. Where did that statement come from? I'm going to give you an example. Think with me about the woman at the well. And the Lord, of course, asks her for water. And then they get into the discussion about the living water. And the Lord Jesus presents, of course, 
the statement that he is the living water and that if she will by faith receive what he has to offer her never thirst again which is well evermore give me and then the Lord Jesus and it's like right out of the blue he speaks to her right immediately about her immorality you think where did that come from how would he the point and that got her attention like nothing else would and he not only just said you're immoral but I'm going to tell you how many husbands you've had and how many the fact that the one you've got now is not your husband and the woman ran back into the town you've got to come out and see this man that told me all things ever I did did he but he the Lord Jesus, our God knows the need of our hearts he knows and the fact that he speaks right he declares right about that woman absolutely 100% right was he did he speak in right about what her need was absolutely he did our God understands all of our needs this is what's being indeed presented to us we have a God who understands all that there is about us all things with regard to our souls are naked before his eyes he knoweth us he says he knows the ones that he has to do with There's nothing that he does not know. But further, what the Lord speaks is righteousness means he offers then the right and true remedy for our need. He understands it, but he also understands what it's going to take to cure that. He understands all that it takes to set things right. So I say to you this morning that how the Lord speaks his absolute understanding of all that pertains to us. So my point is this. Speaks not just on the words alone. Consider the Lord. It is his holiness and his absolute integrity that will keep your heart and mind. Think upon the Lord Jesus. And I come to my last thought. These words suggest to us also that our Savior is absolutely adored. Our the point here is simple. If the Lord speaks righteousness and declares that which is right, those words are not only righteousness and right to men, but even more importantly, those words are righteousness and right to Christ. What has been said by father to son is righteousness and right. Now we've been considering the last few weeks the nature of the eternal covenant made between the Father and the Son. That the Father would give a people to the Son and that the Son would fulfill all the redemptive plan of the Father. In fact, we have memorized verses to that effect. You know them. 
Isaiah 42, verse 6. In fact, see if you don't hear a bit of an echo. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I speak There is the covenant made Father in absolute righteousness. All that was spoken to the Son is absolute in its truth and as pure as God himself. And as a result, the Son will be then, therefore, adored for his work. He will be a father and he will be adored by all the hosts of heaven. You say, how do you know? Because Isaiah also comments on that fact. When you look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. We are called on by God. Behold, my servant shall deal He shall be and stole and be very high. The Father says, my servant, meaning the person of the Lord Jesus, that does the work of redeeming the people of God, he will deal, not just prudently, there the idea is, without anything that could possibly be marked a failure. And as a result, he will be by Father and Heaven, exalted very high. There you have the Father's adoration of the Son. The Son being the absolute after the Father's eye. The object of His eternal love. The pouring out of infinite love upon the second person of the Godhead so that He will be that one who sits on a throne and is the theme of heaven's songs forevermore. So, I ask you this, what's that mean to me? If this is truth then, when God says, I speak righteousness, I declare that to the person of the Son. What's that mean to me? Well, I think here's the conclusion. Since Christ, since Christ is adored and exalted, all the graces, all the mercies, and all the helps that are promised to the saints in him are held in that same regard. <coughs> the Father adores all things that has to do with Christ. The Father exalts things that have been purchased by Christ. These things that Christ gained by his blood are precious to the Lord our God. The words that the Lord has said. That they will most certainly for Jesus sake. Poured out upon. All that are in Christ. What does Paul say about the riches. That are in Christ Jesus. In the book of Philippians. That they are sure. In Christ Jesus. And I say the words that are offered 
in righteousness and declared as right our words really precious to us as they were to Christ. 9 verse 17 says, Oh, how also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Well, you can say, well, those are thoughts. Those are not words. No. Thoughts, words, expressions, statements that come from the mind of God that are known and discerned by the hearts of men. They are all held alike in how precious are they why are they precious you are such a gem has been achieved through so what's my point what's the conclusion of all of this simply this that these words that you read here in Isaiah 45 are a call by your God to have you set your mind on how God has revealed himself. He is all righteousness and right in his words. Think on his character. Esteem him. Med- meditate on his love. First, meditate on that love for Christ. And then meditate on that love for you. Not by yourself, of course. And not for who you are, but in the Lord Jesus. God never sends his word forth without a reason. Isaiah 55. God here is calling on us as his people to consider how he speaks how he speaks to Christ how he speaks to you you are to consider that how not just the what but the how for that indeed is the power of your God in your heart well, may the Lord give us grace and help that we be those that heed what we're told and find it effective amen well let's all stand together